Welcome to Here We Are, the podcast where we talk about curiosity, fascination, and what makes us delightfully nerdy. I'm your host for the forevers, Joy Bork. I am so excited about today's episode, I don't know if you can tell. If you know things about me, and many of you do, you know that I love bread. I love baking bread, eating bread, reading recipes about bread, 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 bread. But today, I bring you a whole new level of glutinous nerd love. I have met my bread Yoda. His name is Ted, and he is truly magical. And you are about to be entranced by his spell, so prepare yourself. Because without further ado, I present the Bread Yoda himself, Ted Harrow. My name is Ted Harrow, and uh, I am formally known as the Bread Dude. You sure are. The artist formerly known as the Bread Dude. Yeah, so for about seven years, my little family and I had a side business called Noonday Bread, and I had a whole persona in there called the bread dude and we sold bread to our friends and neighbors and community and had an absolute ball doing that that's amazing how did you get started with bread oh my gosh people have asked the origin story of me and bread and the simple answer is i i was one of those kids who liked baking with my mom and so we did some bread not lots but then when i was 16 i worked in a kitchen at a wilderness camp for boys and i was in the pot simply a dish boy And the guy who was actually running the kitchen, unlike most camps, this guy was a really finely trained chef at Culinary Institute, which is one of the best chef schools in the country. And I said to him one day, you know what you do looks like a lot more fun than what I do. And (laughs) he said, yeah, it is. And I said, what if I came in early and you taught me some stuff? And so I came in early sometimes and would pull an extra shift. And uh, he, one of the first things he taught me was how to make bread at scale, like make 60 loaves of bread, which I, I couldn't even wrap my head around and I really liked it and then just started puttering with it more. And then when I was newly married, my wife, we didn't have a lot of extra cash. So she bought me a bread book because I was doing more cooking around the house and that kind of got me going. So that's how I started until at one point I was actually in a chili cook-off competition in Palatine and my chili got like, I don't know, second or third prize. It was fine. (laughs) But I also baked these uh, potato cheddar chive rolls to go with it. And oh, one of the guys coming man. through the line said, hey, where do I buy those? And I said, you don't because I, no, I don't sell those. <laughs> and so that's when I got in my head. Maybe I should sell those. That would be fun. So that's kind of how we got going. All right. So your intro is all about bread. What kind of bread are we talking about today? Oh, my gosh. Where do you want to start? I mean... That's what I love about bread. If you want to geek out on something, the thing about bread is that it is literally millennia old. I mean, people have been baking bread since the beginning of time. It's, it's a way to take a perishable product, like a grain, like wheat, and turn it into something that's edible and lovely and, and actually is preserved for a longer period of time. I love all kinds of bread. But since we shut the bread business down, what we've been doing more of is long fermentation, often sourdough, but long fermentation breads and trying to perfect baking at home to make it as good as absolutely possible. I am all about that. Uh, You and I got to talk the other night at an event and sourdough was definitely a main topic that we 
discussed. And I, there's something so beautiful about sourdough. I don't know if you've watched the series on Netflix called Cooked. Yes, I think I have. Yeah, where he talks about all the elements and how they tie into cooking and air was bred because of fermentation. It like just changes the nutritional everything. Yes. It's magical. It is. In so many ways. What do you love about sourdough? Like, how is that different from the other breads that you do? Why is that your focus now? I think there's a bunch of things. First of all, if you have a sourdough starter, it's like having a pet. It but is. a pet you eat on occasion, which is strange. But <laughs> I mean, almost all of us who have sourdough starter, we end up naming it because you had to feed the stupid thing. So I, I name mine Bubbles. Yep. Mine's uh, Gretchen. My, Yours is Gretchen, which is ironic because I'm married to a Gretchen. And my son's name is, has his name, his is Gerard, because of, we, of course, I've passed on my love of bread to my Naturally. son. And I forget why Gerard, there's some very geeky intellectual, <laughs> he's, he's a philosophy and music guy. So it's, there's depth to that, but I forget what it is. That's how deep it is. It's like Good. beneath my level. But so, so first of all, you you've nursed this thing along, you you're taking care of it, you're preparing it. And there is a depth of flavor that you get from that leavening that is different from the flavor you get from commercial yeast. You can do wonderful breads by the way, without being sourdough, but there's a certain amount of alchemy that happens when you don't buy it out of a can, but you know, you have this starter and my starter ostensibly comes from King Arthur Bakery, which if you believe their propaganda has been the same starter since the 1700s. That's that they amazing. Yeah. Now, of course, that's, that's the, the other thing you need to know, of course, is that every starter takes on the character of its local environment. So my starter basically tastes like Palatine, Illinois, which isn't nearly as sexy as people who have have leavening like from San Francisco. That's so interesting. Okay. For those that haven't done sourdough before, maybe they've tasted it somewhere, but they don't know the joy of the alchemy that you're talking about. I love that you use the word alchemy. To somebody who doesn't know sourdough, how would you describe the process of the caretaking? So it's, it's just regular feeding. So if you're in a commercial environment, you'd be feeding that starter every day. So what I do at home, I, I keep, because I'm not baking bread every day. If I did, I would be 900 pounds. I would be very happy by the way, <laughs> but I would still be 900 pounds. <laughs> so you take a very small amount. Like I take 10 grams of the sourdough starter that I'm going to feed. Just take 10 grams out, put it in a new bowl, and then put 20 grams each of water and a good quality wheat flour. And that's it. And then you mix it up. You let it sit on your um, counter for usually, and it depends on temperature. This is the thing people need to understand about bread. It's very simple in some ways, but also uh, you have to know the key elements. And Mm. the key elements in bread are really flour, salt, yeast, water, and time and temperature. So I was just talking there about leaving on my counter, I leave on my counter for anywhere from probably eight to 12 hours, depending on the temperature of the house. Because if it's summer, like right now, when we're talking, you know, the house is is pretty warm and it it won't need as long to bubble and get ripe. Whereas if in the winter, our house isn't as warm. And so things are, everything takes a little bit longer. And that's part of the art of being a baker is, is manipulating temperature and time. The ingredients matter, of course, but if you don't manipulate temperature and time, nothing beautiful happens. Yeah. Tell me about one of your favorite lobes, like something that you made where you were like, aha, I have done it. So people always ask me, which is my favorite? And it's like having a favorite child. Um, 
I always say that I have a different favorite child depending on the day, depending on what, how my boys have been that day. But <laughs> Gretchen will say that both of her, our sons are her favorites, which of course is cheating and is also the exact right answer. But well. that's, I digress. <laughs> so if I had to pick just one bread, I would uh, bake one that we call Sonoma sourdough. We love going to Sonoma in California. And this one, we do a, a, a pretty straight up sourdough with multiple kinds of flours, but it's pretty simple otherwise but we add in a really good blue cheese, a firm blue cheese and walnuts. And when people hear it, they either go, wow, that sounds great. Or they go, I hate blue cheese. And I always tell them, you got to try this and try this with honey on it. It is really good. I can't take credit for that original idea that came from a guy named Peter Reinhardt. I was reading one of his books and he said that was one of his favorites and I tried it and I loved it. I do love that one. I love it, especially when you can bake it in a Dutch oven where you can get a really great firm crust and everything. And then you toast it and put some honey on it. Life is pretty good there. The other one that I would, I would say right now, and this is about, this is the thing about bread for me. I love bread, but I love bread because it connects you with people. Yes. And yes. we just got our first daughter. Uh, so I have two adult-ish sons and the older one just got married. And so finally, after all these years of having boys, and I love my boys, but I finally have a daughter and she's awesome. And when she was just dating our son, she had grown up in Russia and she would say to me, I'm really looking for a bread that is like the bread we had in Russia. I can't find it in America. And so I went and looked for different recipes and found one for something called Lithuanian table bread. But we actually rebranded it Russian girlfriend bread. And so <laughs> I, I do like that bread a lot. But I like that bread a lot because every time I make it, I think about Karina. Mm. I, I, I think the world of Karina. So part of why I love bread is that brings people together. In fact, the favorite thing to me about having our bread business was that we got to meet hundreds of people in our community that I would never have met, even though we've lived in our same house for 25 years. I would never have met them. But in town, I became known as the bread dude. I'd be refing soccer games. People would say, hey, isn't that the bread dude? And I'd say, yes, it is. Why, thank you for noticing. <laughs> thank you for noticing, exactly. <laughs> was it my spelt figure? Probably, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Okay, you mentioned just in passing that you use several flowers. Yeah. Break down flower types for me. Yeah, of course. The if for Except for people who are unfortunate enough to have gluten issues, the base flower for most breads is going to be a wheat flower. And that's because wheat flour predictably... Uh, good levels of gluten and gluten is important. I know gluten has had a bad name in recent years, but it's important to bread because it's basically the skeleton of bread. It's what gives your bread a structure. It's why making gluten-free bread is mm. really hard because you're trying to make this thing that you want to have structure and it's hard to give it structure without gluten. Not impossible. I've seen, but I've not mastered it myself. And so wheat flour is usually the starting point. Of course, inside wheat and wheat flours, there are different levels of protein or gluten that's mm -hmm. in there, potential gluten. And uh, from very low amounts, which we like pastry flour, which you would rarely, if I can't think of a time I've ever used it baking bread, all the way up to high gluten flour, which I don't use very often either. I can tell you more if you really want to geek out on why that is. But usually in the middle is like all purpose or bread flour. And those are usually a good base. Of course, you could then use whole wheat flour. That gives you more, more grain, more bran, more hardiness to the dough. It also uh, tends to inhibit how much dough will rise because those bran fragments slice the gluten strands. So mm -hmm. it makes it harder for that, that bread to rise, which is why you don't usually have, I mean, you can make 100% whole wheat flour bread, but it, it's 
it, it tends to be denser it just because that's it doesn't so rise interesting. easily. Yeah. And then rye flour, of course, is a popular one because that's a slightly different. It also has lower gluten content. So you won't usually see 100% rye bread for the same reason because you don't have the same structure. That's why you're always, almost always going to see some wheat flour in what you're doing. And then I use also in most of my straight sourdough breads, I'll also use some buckwheat flour. It's just a different flavor and color. And hmm. color and flavor and aroma all matter whenever you're baking. So those are the typical flours that I will use. Usually the bulk is going to be a white wheat flour. Anywhere somewhere from 60 to 80% of the flour weight will be there. And then mm -hmm. you'll supplement with the other ones. That's amazing. What color does buckwheat turn things? It, it, buckwheat flour is a dark you're talking to a dude, so I don't have a good color palette. Like I, my life is like black, brown, gray. So it's a, <laughs> it's a dark gray. It just gives it almost, it's almost a blue gray in some ways that it turns the dough. It's a very small amount because there's like, I don't think there's really any gluten to speak of in buckwheat flour. It's not the same kind of a grain. Wow. Ah, there's so much here. We briefly touched on the other night talking about Baker's math. Oh, yeah. When I learned about Baker's math, I got so excited because it's just a whole new way to see the baking oh, yeah. world. Yes. For those around us who are Baker's math muggles, what what is <laughs> Baker's math? What does it mean? Why is it different? Why is it important? Okay, so Baker's math is essentially trying to help those of us who, who are bread geeks and potentially pros. We're using Baker's math to control outcomes and to also predict outcomes. As long as you have to work with bread, you want to have a good shot at a good outcome as, as often as you can. Mm. And there are certain ingredients in bread that have a massive impact on the outcomes, depending on the proportion of that ingredient to the rest of the batch. So, of course, if you add a lot more yeast, salt, water, let's just play with those for a second, compared to the flour, life gets very different. So Baker's Math is a way for us to make sure we have everything in the proper proportion for that dough. And once you understand Baker's math, and it can look at uh, those of us who actually go beyond home baking and do things in bigger scale, we call recipes formulas. When you look at a bread formula, you can quickly see what should this dough feel like by looking at, for instance, hydration, how much water is there or, or fluid. It doesn't have to be just water. Fluid compared to, it's always compared to the total flour weight. So I know that dough that is a typical dough that's maybe 75%, the water weight is 75% compared to the total flour weight. I know what that feels like. That feels like a normal bread dough, 75, 76%. If I look at like pretzel dough, I made pretzels that night for my friends, John and Joan. That dough is probably more like 68%. So when I look at that, I know without doing a thing, I know, okay, when I touch this dough, it's going to be much firmer, much yeah. stiffer. I should expect it to be, which means I should tell myself when I'm getting freaked out that it's dry, mm -hmm. I should not add more water because that's what it's supposed to be. Whereas if I had ciabatta, if you've had ciabatta, mm -hmm. you see how airy that bread is. Mm -hmm. That's because the hydration of ciabatta, I think, is close to 100%. In other words, Whoa. it's equal weight, flour and water. That makes that dough, if I'm touching that dough, I'm expecting it to be very fragile and sloppy because it's so hydrated. So 
all those things tell me what I should expect. It's also just a practical thing. I put all of my formulas into a spreadsheet by proportion. So the other night I made pretzels for my friends and I asked them how many they needed. And I figured out I wanted to make about 30 pretzels, which is about seven and a half pounds of dough. I just plug in seven and a half pounds. And because everything's in proportion, Ugh. the whole recipe just goes, and then that I just use a scale beautiful. and I can weigh it out. Yeah. And like when we had our commercial bakery, we baked to order. So we would know going into the morning, we need to make 43 loaves of this kind of bread. First of all, you're not going to do that using a cup measure, 300, <laughs> 301 cups, 302 <laughs> cups. And right. when people, different people measure things by hand, they measure them differently. Like it's, it's not the same. Whereas if it's weighed out, it's 13 pounds, three ounces, 0. 0.6, you know, exactly. Right. right. So you can make things a lot more precise. So Baker's math is a way to understand what a particular dough should be like, predict it, even tweak it. If you say, you know what, the last couple of times I've done that, it hasn't come out the way I want it. And I think I want to increase hydration by 1%. I just throw that into the spreadsheet and it translates everything out. So it gives me a way to perfect things. By the way, I have one Excel file with all of my formulas in it. And people will often ask me, can I have your you know, they think that they're asking me for the crown jewels to give them recipes, my formulas. And I say, of course you can have it. First of all, it's all a gift. God's given it all to me anyway, so I'm just going to pass it on. And besides, I got most of these from books that you could get, you know, so it's not right. like it's some ancient family secret. There's one tab on that spreadsheet that is worth more than all the formulas put together. And that's my log of all the times I baked when I was baking in the professional kitchen. I would keep a log of exactly what happened, yep. what the temperature was in the room, what the temperature of the dough was, what happened, how we did stuff. That you can't replace because that's experience. You can buy formulas. You can't buy experience. Right. Life is about learning. That's what it's about. Oh, that makes me so happy. What have been some of your big learning turning points? So one was studying under a master. So I was lucky enough to spend a week at a pro class that was put on by King Arthur Bakeries. The, the master baker that we were under, we were in a group of, I think, 12 people. And uh, his name got named Jeffrey Himmelman. And I don't know if Jeffrey is still employed by King Arthur, but he was, he's a very well-known baker. He's written a book called Red. That's really good. Uh, if you want to geek out on that one, you can. He's helped coach teams from the U.S. who go to like the Red World Championships. So he knows a lot. But what is better about Jeff than that he knows a lot is that he is one of the best teachers I have ever been privileged to be around. He's humble, he's gentle, and he's exacting. So what something I noticed was that he would walk around the room and he would only comment on people's bread, on their work, whether no matter what stage of the bread we were at, if he thought they were doing something well. Hmm. And so I started to ask him, he would just walk by my bench and say nothing. I'd say, Jeff, come back. I noticed you didn't say anything. I figured you out. You only talk to people when they do something well. So what's wrong with what I'm doing? And he would tell me, he'd say, you're handling that bread too hard. So you're tearing the loaf. Here's what you do instead. So he was, he was kind, but if you asked for help, he would give it to you and he would force you to raise your game. I learned something about myself at that class, which was that I was really good at Baker's math. And then my hands weren't as good as lots of other people's hands. 
So I learned that just like in most of life, you find where your niche is. So when I came back to my kitchen, back to my operation, I ran the operation. I coached the operation. I'm actually a really good teacher and coach. But I found people who are better with their hands than me. And when we had things to do to make things beautiful, I let them do that Hmm. because they were better than I was. And I realized because, as I said to the guy next to me at my bench, he was doing really beautiful stuff. And I said to him, he was a culinary student. I said, hey, were you good in art class as a kid? And he said, yeah, I was. And I said, okay, I just, I know everything I need to know now. Because art class was the one class, like from third grade on, I knew I was not good at. And so I've just come to be at peace with my limitations. I was good at writing for our business. I was good at running the business, speaking about the business, coaching the business, orchestrating the business. But when it comes down to the, the fine details of making an ornate loaf beautiful, my niece Rebecca is way better than I am. And I let her do that. So those were big times. We had some tragedies happen in our bread business. So you learn things like the first time we did pretzel rolls, we hadn't figured out that it's very important that you have to take pretzel rolls, you shape them, and then you dip them in a, a caustic solution that if you actually have it hit you, it will burn your skin, which is interesting. But we we didn't figure out that after you pick them up off the parchment paper and dip them in, you want to spray the parchment paper again with oil. Because otherwise, when you bake them, mm. they will stick to the parchment paper. And so you learn things the hard way about the little tricks and the little, this, back to, it's back to experience. You can't replace experience. And you learn about your customers. You learn that people, most of your customers are wonderful people. Yeah. They really are. And they want you to succeed. And there are a few people who are difficult, but generally you can find a way for them to gracefully exit your business. Well spoken. (laughs) And you can say you'll be missed, but you're probably not a great fit for us. And we're not a great fit for you. And goodbye. (laughs) Okay. Last question. For someone who's thinking about diving into bread or wanting to get better at their craft, what do you wish they knew? And or what do you wish Ted of beginning the bread journey would have known? A lot of people are afraid of bread. They're afraid that they're going to ruin the yeast. I mean, yeast really freaks people out because it is a living thing. I think they're afraid that they're going to kill it or it might come out of the bowl and kill them. And if I was going to say one thing, we're getting into bread. It is a deep discipline. It's a deep adventure. And one of the things that Jeff says in one of the videos I've watched of him on YouTube, he says, some days I come in to bake and it goes great. And I say, I'll do that again tomorrow. And then some days, even at he, and this is true for me too, I'll go and I'll bake and it doesn't come out like I want. And I'll say, I want to go back in there and try again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So what I would say is approach bread joyfully, freely, get someone to who is a little farther down the road from you and learn from them. There's there's enough variables and kind of art to this that it's a great way to meet somebody and to share together in a discovery exploration, you know, kind of journey together. And that's what it is. And at the end, you get to eat it and share it with people. And it makes, it was the favorite thing I had about bread was that it brought people joy. They would walk into our shop and they walk out with a loaf of bread in their arms, like a little baby, and they, you could see them smiling. And yes. I love that. Uh, this is everything I hoped it would be. It's been a great time talking to you. Thank I love you that so much. I love that somebody actually is interested in it because some people are like, 
wow, you're really, you've gone off the deep end. It's like, yeah, I love it. You have, and it's been a beautiful fly into the deep end. (laughs) Yes. So here we are. This episode did similar things to me, like when I walk into a room where a loaf was just taken out of the oven. It's a warm, enveloping feeling, and it makes me so happy. I resonate so strongly with what Ted said about the joy of bread and how it brings people together. And it brought Ted and I together for this glorious interview, and I couldn't be happier. So get out there. Watch the air episode of Cooked. Get yourself a bread book. Try your hand at this leavened magic. You can totally do this. And if you need help, shoot me an email at herewearethepodcast at gmail.com, which is also coincidentally the email that you would use to tell me about your flavor of nerd. (laughs) See what I did there? Very proud of myself in this moment. I hope you are too. All right. If you're looking to go one step further and financially support what I'm doing with the podcast, head on over to patreon.com, search for Here We Are The Podcast, and sign up for one of the many quirky support tiers. So until next time, don't forget that curiosity wins and the world needs more nerds. Bye.